Sup, thrill seekers. I'm Dev. And I'm Connor, and you're listening to Mass Hysteria. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome or welcome back to Mass Hysteria. This week we are starting a mini-series that I didn't tell Connor about until just now. Surprise me! (laughs) We're going to call it uh, Hometown Horrors because I said horrors, by the way. That was a two-syllable word. It was. Um, But there were some of those too. But (laughs) No slut-shaming. Not in this story at all. Um, Since Connor and I have caught out, (laughs) our hometowns have been (laughs) safe havens. Yeah, much safer. Much holier. Um, No, but we thought it'd be interesting to do... There's a lot of cases that happened close to where we grew up, and I know that a lot of people that started listening to us in the beginning also grew up in the area, so... We thought it'd be interesting and a good kind of topic to cover cases that happened around both of our hometowns. Um, so we're starting with Groton. This week and next week will be Groton, assuming we finish what we started. At least one half of this will be Groton. But um, Connor and I both grew up in towns that neighbor Groton. You're expecting us to finish what we start. Interesting. The expectations are just so They're very high. high. Um, so if you like this, uh, series that we're starting, let us know if you are like, Hey, I like hometown horrors, but my hometown is in Rhode Island. Like send us your hometown. We can move to Rhode Island, but we'll scare you out of, you know, we'll, we'll scare you so you can't sleep at night. Exactly. Um, and for the meantime though, we will be spending the next couple of episodes in the Groton. What's it like? Central Northern. Yeah, I guess it's probably kind of central, right? Um, Yeah, so it'll be great. Also, Connor and I switched mics, so let us know if it sounds better because he was coming up, uh, coming off a little too raspy. Coming off a little too strong. Uh, he didn't. He did not smoke a pack of cigarettes. Thank you for the person who reached out before about um, Connor's cigarette use. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no one reached out. No uh, one cares. Connor lives above the influence, but he did sound a little bit hoarse. So we're trying to fix this. Be bear with us. Let us know if it sounds better or if it sounds worse. And without further ado, I will be sharing the mass hysterical this week because um, I think you're going to appreciate this. I'm sure I will. Uh, so. I'm not going to dwell on this, but I had quite oh, I'm an eventful. Gonna dwell. I'm going to dwell. <laughs> quite an eventful week last week, and I'm moving, and I moved now. It's it's all good, but uh, a lot of life things happen. A lot of just like you know, it was one of those things where one domino falls, and now the whole chains fall down. That's definitely not a saying, but you get what I'm saying. So, I Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, each of them like something pretty. Uh, unfortunate happened, which was fine. By the end of the week, I was like, you know, this is cool. I've paid my dues. Like, Jesus isn't mad at me anymore. Life's going to start looking up, right? <laughs> so I'm like... You lied to yourself, didn't you? <laughs> I'm like walking down the street and I look over and it was like a busy day, probably like a Red Sox game or something because there's a ton of cars driving in and out of Boston. And I'm just like, da 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 taking a spring walk, or a summer walk, I mean. Look over... There's a tiny dog. This dog was adorable. And it's like <laughs> hanging out the car, okay? 
And I like, I'm like, wow, you know, life is precious. There are cute things in this world. <laughs> and so I like look up at the dog and the dog makes eye contact with me and vomits. <laughs> it vomits out the car. Did it hit you? No, because it was far enough away. It just like literally looked at me and was like <laughs> so repulsed that it threw up. I'm sure it was probably just car sick, not Devin so sick. So I was like, I was like, wow, okay. I see where you, I see what you're doing, Jesus. It's cool. Um, I'll, you thought you were safe. I'll let you guys know uh, if I'm back in the in God's graces next week. Connor and I have also added a new saying. Instead of saying if someone did it hurt when they fall from heaven, ask them <laughs> how athletic they were to be able to jump up from hell. <laughs> and um, yeah, I'm kind of, you know, I've been humbled a lot, but especially last week when a dog vomited at the mere sight of me, that was a record. Pray for us. Um, yeah. So like I said, today's case is in Groton. It's pretty intense um, and... If you grew up in the area, you might even be familiar with it because it's pretty well known um, in as far as like Massachusetts murder cases go. So without further ado, um, most people with siblings can recall at least one time that they have had some kind of fight, right? I mean, I'm the exception to the rule. My brothers would describe me <laughs> as a perfect angel, but I can imagine what sibling fights would be like. Connor's provided me with his expert testimony. <laughs> I've... Uh, you know, witnessed the fights that he's had with his siblings. Um, but when you have a younger sibling, often that brother or sister will tag along to your activities. And later, when you're older, you realize that all the times they copied your style or borrowed your sweater were really because they were trying to be more like you. They looked up to you. Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? Well, Stephanie Santerre was just 16 years old when she developed a crush on her older sister Heather's boyfriend. His name is Paul Jones. You might also see it as Paul Reed Jones, but his, his like legal name is Paul Jones. Heather was two years older and actually lived with Paul, who was 19 at the time. Uh, she was 18. She lived with him and his family. Paul had three younger siblings and uh, like a probably like a medium-sized house in Groton, Massachusetts. It was on Fitch's Bridge Road, actually, and if you grew up in this area, like we both did, you might recognize the landmark Fitch's Bridge. Um, when we were in high school, people used to jump off the bridge into the water. Uh, I think the cops patrol the area now, so like, don't test the waters, pun intended. Curse splash. Um, <laughs> Groton, though, it's a really great place to grow up. If you don't want to attend the public school, you can apply to both the Groton School, which is very prestigious, some uh, Kennedys went there. Mm -hmm. And uh, Lawrence Academy. It's better known, I think, for its athletics, but it's yeah. also a good private school. So the presence of two high-performing private schools has really pushed the school district to perform well, too. All this is really just to say that Groton is a place of community, the value education. It's safe. It's very family-oriented. So you can imagine just how shocking it was in 1996 when a young girl was found murdered. It was so shocking, in fact, that the majority of residents today are familiar with some version of the events that unfolded. So according to court documents, though Heather and Stephanie did not always live together, they maintained a pretty close bond as sisters. After their parents were divorced, Heather went to live in Townsend with her father, while Stephanie stayed with her mother in Fitchburg. Only two years apart, and both high school age, they fought like most siblings did, but they also looked out for each other. In the summer of 1995, 
Stephanie moved in with Heather and Paul's family. The house was small for the amount of people under one roof. I'm sure they had to time their showers and keep extra milk in the fridge. Growing up, um, we, that, right? we timed our showers. We had a 15-gallon hot water tank, and there was nine people living in the house. You do the math. Um, so Connor took his first shower when he was 18. It was a huge occasion. <laughs> Everyone watched. <laughs> yeah, so, you know, timing their showers, extra milk in the fridge, all that good stuff. You know the saying, the like distance makes the heart grow fonder? Well, maybe somebody should publish a follow-up. Proximity tests your emotional limits. It was not long after Stephanie moved in that she and Heather began constantly fighting. As someone who grew up with sharing a room with two of my brothers, let me tell you, close quarters will teach you some lessons, that's for sure. Um, perhaps unaccustomed to sharing tight space, or perhaps simply annoyed at having her little sister live with her and her boyfriend, Heather started to get really resentful of Stephanie. The relationship between the sisters completely fell apart. Soon they were arguing about everything and constantly setting the other one off. And maybe to some, this may seem normal, like expected even, but there was something darker at work here. In December of 1995, one of Paul and Heather's mutual friends, his name was Greg Michaud, he moved into the house as well. I don't know why all of them They just like loved everyone living Wow. That's so strange to me. Right? Also, I feel like if you're going to live with your friend, you have to really ensure that you're not going to bother each other. Yeah. Like, they're sharing a room. I'm not talking about them sharing an apartment. They're sharing a room. So, anyway. Um, and it this whole, like, living situation in general is giving cheaper by the dozen a run for its money. But with all these new faces moving in, space was obviously limited. So Greg sh- uh, shared the room with Heather and Paul, like we said, but he also had a longtime <laughs> oh girlfriend God. named Patricia McKinnon who would come over and spend the night in the single room with Jeez. the other three, which is, I don't know. Anyway, conveniently, Heather was really good friends with Patricia, so maybe the arrangement was more of like a weird slumber party than like an awkward dorm room. But either way, there were now quite a few people living under one roof. Under one room? Uh, yeah, under one room. Um, are you lost? Uh, maybe get your IQ tested. Just kidding. We feel your pain. So, Heather and Paul are one couple who are dating. Heather's younger sister, Stephanie, moves into the house with Heather and Paul. She does not live in the room. Paul's friend, Greg, moves in and shares a room with Heather and Paul. Greg's girlfriend also frequently stays over, though she doesn't live there, quote-unquote, full-time, so to speak. If you're caught up now, please pass go and collect $200. You're if welcome. you're not, actually take that IQ yeah. test. <laughs> they're, they're free on the internet. <laughs> I'm sorry. We might get judged for that one. Forgive <laughs> us. Now, we're all petty when we're teenagers, sure, but Heather Santerre was a new level of cruel. It did not take long for Heather to suspect that Stephanie might be interested in Paul. She shared her thoughts with Patricia, and soon both girls had convinced themselves that Stephanie was sleeping with their respective boyfriends. Heather decided she needed to find evidence of her claims, so she rummaged through her sister's belongings. In one diary entry, she found the following text, according to court records. Stephanie, quote, was in love with Paul, that they were going to be together and Heather would be out of the way. They'd be happy, end quote. And sure, the diary entry may be a little blunt, but Stephanie was probably just hardcore crushing on her sister's boyfriend. And while I can understand why this may annoy her older sister, it seems pretty innocent and childlike to write something like that in a diary. Stephanie was the only 
one in high school out of the group of teens, and it's not surprising that she would want to emulate the free and thrilling life of her older sister. For Heather, though, this was the final straw. She felt that Stephanie had overstepped a boundary, and Heather felt that it was her duty to teach her a horrific lesson. On January 1996, Patricia, Paul, and Heather decided to go for a drive around town. Patricia lived in Ashby, which is about 15 minutes or so from Groton, right? I feel like yeah, maybe depending 20. on where in Ashby. Ashby's like very rural, but so it depends on where, but yeah. Um, so Heather, who was driving, took the car up and down various streets between the two locations. And what started out as a lighthearted conversation soon grew to be very grim. Heather spoke about how she would kill her sister Stephanie if given the chance. She actually suggested hitting her on the head with a frying pan. Um, and Paul shot down the idea because he was like, it wouldn't be enough to kill her. Instead, he suggested they strangle her with a rope. Oh, here we were thinking Paul was nice. No, no, no he no, was no. just trying to find a better way. Yeah. So, and he's like, we could even use a chain. So this delighted Heather, who chimed in and said that they could do it on Monday. That way, Paul's family would be out of the house. And if they wanted to isolate Stephanie, like lure her in, that they could do it by Paul, you know, pretending to, I guess, saying that they would ha- the two would have sex, like trying to lure her in under the guise of sex. So some people like to drive around to start deep conversations, hopefully not about murdering relatives, but alas, driving conversations are a common activity among teenagers. For Paul and Heather, though, this drive had a second purpose too. And while they were, most likely, frightening poor Patricia, who was sitting in the back seat, mind you, the couple were also on the lookout for places where they could oh bury a body. Yeah, you heard that correctly. The couple were openly discussing where they would bury a body, even going so far as to rate a location if it was good or bad. They pulled off on one dirt road and found a spot that was just secluded enough that it was perfect in their eyes. This whole time, Patricia was riding in the car with them, asking to be taken home. I, I like That must be such a strange situation to be in if you're just the friend in the backseat because you're like is this a joke but also like don't kill me so So, also like where was greg during this time i think he was just working or something okay um but i guess if patricia was friends with heather yeah she's friendly yeah um heather and paul asked patricia for a favor instead before she could go home could she lure greg away so that the house would be clear for their plan and at this point i think patricia was like genuinely unsure if this was a prank or not or if, like, her two closest friends were psychopaths. But either way, she immediately... Hint, hint, it's the second one. Either way, she immediately rejected their request and pressed to be taken home. Heather reassured Patricia, like, yeah, we're just playing around. This could never actually happen. Like, we would never harm, let alone kill, our my own sister. So, two days later, it was Super Bowl Sunday, and Paul called Patricia to warn her that today was the day. They were going to do exactly what they had said they were going to do. Patricia, perhaps still believing that this whole thing was like a bad dream, or at the very least a really bad prank, agreed to join Heather and Greg as they drove back to Paul's house later that afternoon. On the drive, Heather stopped at various locations and would step out of the car to make a telephone call. And Patricia thought this was odd, but she just tried to ignore the strange behavior. So when the three friends arrived at Paul's house, Heather pulled into the driveway and beeped the horn. It was clear that she was signaling something to Paul. Heather got out of the car and walked toward the second-story window as Paul's face appeared. He nodded to Heather and mouthed the words, yes. That's so creepy. So creepy. Standing in the window, looking out. The strange communication between the two of them certainly freaked Patricia out, 
but she was unsure of what she could do at this point in time, so she just decided to stay in the car. As Heather sat back down in the driver's seat, she said nothing to Greg nor to Patricia. She proceeded to back up the driveway and go to the local grocery store that was just a few miles away. Was it Donlin's? No. Probably Donlin's. Um, the group didn't stay long at the grocery store, but the 10-minute trip felt like an eternity to a freaked-out Patricia. Even stranger was that when Heather pulled back into Paul's driveway, Patricia swore it was deja vu. Heather honked again, Paul came up to the window, and he nodded yes. Whatever plan the couple was following was going exactly the way that they hoped it would. Oh my god. And after Paul nodded down to Heather, Heather walked into the house this time. She was gone for about five minutes or so before she returned to the car. She tossed Greg the keys and asked uh, him, like the two of them, Patricia and Greg, to take a drive around while she and Paul took care of something they needed to do. Greg and Patricia drove around for at least an hour, certainly not in any rush to return to that questionable scene at Paul's house. When Patricia and Greg did finally walk into the house, they were greeted by a smiling Heather who was unpacking groceries with Paul's mother. Strangely, uh, Patricia thought that, like, maybe this was actually a hoax after all because Heather wasn't acting like anything was up. Or maybe she had just misread the situation. As January weather, as the January weather was growing chillier at night, Patricia went upstairs to retrieve her sweatshirt from Paul's room. Uh, if that was me, I would just be like, yeah, I will freeze to death before I go anywhere near Paul's room. Um, and when um, she yeah. walked in, she noticed a piece of pipe on the floor that hadn't been there this morning. Because, I mean, she's staying there all the time, so she knows what the layout of the room has. Um, and before she had time to really process it, Paul walked in behind her and walked up to her and said two chilling words, probably whispered them with how creepy he is, into her ear. She's dead. And the way that she was killed was horrific. Paul confessed to Patricia that he had killed Stephanie earlier that afternoon. He had lured her into his room by promising to have sex with her. Later, autopsies revealed that he had raped her. Paul Jones was a sick man who played on Stephanie's trust that he cared about her. He tied her arms and legs together and blindfolded her before putting a gag in her mouth. The whole time he was doing this, he kept telling Stephanie to trust him which is absolutely vile and sickening. He took an old bicycle chain and wrapped it around Stephanie's neck. When she fidgeted, he immediately asked, Don't you trust me? He pulled the chain tighter until she could not breathe. Then he loosened it. As she took a gasp, he tightened the chain noose once more. Since the bike chain was cutting into Paul's hands, he grabbed the pipe, the same pipe that Patricia had seen on the floor, and he wrapped the chain around it. He pulled until he thought Stephanie was dead. At this point, Heather entered the house. Uh, it was when she parked or pulled into the driveway and told Greg and Patricia to go take a drive. So she entered the house to help Paul dispose of Stephanie's body. As the pair carried her murdered sister down the stairs to the basement, they thought that they could feel a heartbeat, like they'd convinced themselves from Stephanie. So Paul yanked the bike chain so hard that it immediately snapped Stephanie's neck. Oh my neck. god. That's one of the most gruesome things I've ever read. Heather and Paul placed Stephanie in a garbage bag and inside one of the bins in the garbage, or excuse me, in the garage. Paul reiterated this entire horrifying story to Patricia when she spotted the pipe in his room. I'm very confused about like what his motive was for telling everyone. Right. I'm guessing he's covering his bases because he's like if they know, know what like happened involved, they're yeah. not going to tell anyone 
He even opened his hands to prove that he had used the bike chain because he wanted to show them that they were cut up. Patricia went down to the kitchen and she saw Heather dancing around giddy and all happy. And she like, which is so sick. I don't know how sick you have to be to behave like that. But yeah, after her sister was killed uh in the court document, Patricia said apparently that Heather was like dancing and saying like, she's finally dead. I can live my life again. Oh my God. What the hell? Um, Paul and Heather were so proud of their evil deed that they made up a story to explain Stephanie's disappearance if anybody asked. They planned to tell people that Stephanie had run away and that the two of them had driven out multiple times to search for her. Noticing that Patricia was acting kind of withdrawn, uh, probably shocked that her friends were this evil, Paul made one final threat. If she even dared to open her mouth, she would wind up just like Stephanie. So sadly, there is no real hero in this story. Stephanie was failed by the people who claimed to care about her. Patricia did, however, finally come to her senses about a week later, and she entered the police department in Groton with her mother. She told the officers over the course of a few visits that Paul killed Stephanie, and she described in detail to them where he had disposed of her body. The police were able to use the information to locate Stephanie. According to the court documents, quote, on February 7th, 1996, the body of the 16-year-old victim was found in a wooded area in Ashby protruding from a trash bag with a bicycle chain around her neck. The victim's body was frozen to the ground. The ankles and wrists were bound with duct tape, and the hands were bound to the body. The victim's neck had an abrasion stained with black grease in a pattern consistent with the bicycle chain, end quote. Shortly after her body was found, Heather and Paul were both arrested, and while awaiting trial, Paul opened his idiotic mouth once again and confessed to a fellow inmate that he had killed the young girl. This came back to bite Paul in the ass when the inmate testified at Paul's trial. Thank God. I know. Also, why? I don't... He just... It's just disgusting. Yeah. In addition to the DNA evidence clearly tying Paul to the crime, there was fingerprints that belonged to him on the duct tape. The prosecution also called Patricia to the stand to get her account of what happened. The defense did not discredit that Paul killed Stephanie. Instead, they approached the case from a different angle. The defense attacked Patricia, claiming that she and Heather were really the masterminds behind the horrific crime. They claimed that Paul never wanted to carry out such a terrible thing, but that Heather and Patricia were pressuring him to take revenge on Stephanie for sleeping with their boyfriends. The defense tried to prove that Heather was the alpha in their relationship and that Paul was just a poor, lovesick puppy dog willing to do anything to please Heather. They even went as far as to claim that the entire crime could in no way have been premeditated. As you can tell from my sarcastic tone, which says a lot because I already have a monotone. (laughs) Um, This ludicrous defense did not hold up in court. According to the Lowell Sun, Heather was sentenced in 1997 to 15 to 20 years for manslaughter and accessory uh, beforehand, while Paul was sentenced to life without the possibility of parole. According to the Lowell Sun, Heather is out of prison, and she's working as a waitress near her old home. Heather's mother has reconciled with her, while other family members have no plans to forgive this evil sister. This case is a brutal one, and it makes you really see that there are truly evil people in the world. So hug your brothers and sisters today. Um, And before we sign off, uh, just another reminder that we are doing the Hometown Horror uh, series. If you like it, let us know. We could cover your hometown 
are going to be probably staying in Groton next week. We're definitely going to be staying in Massachusetts for a couple weeks. Connor, I'm so glad that you agreed to this without me bringing it up beforehand. Um, but we also have a call to action, a nice CTA, if you will. Kind of two, because the first one is if you have not, please rate and review us on yes. Apple Podcasts. And the second one is to rate and review us on Apple. I mean, just, uh, um, no. The <laughs> and the third one, one is, no. <laughs> the second one is, please, please, please. And yes, this may sound desperate. And are Connor and I fall into desperation? Absolutely we not. We reek of desperation. We, we, we thrive. <laughs> we drink it when we drink our cold water in the morning. Um, but no, if you can share this with your friends and family and people that listen, we have a growing audience, which is awesome, but we really want to be able to do some like cooler things, get Connor a microphone that doesn't make him sound like a, what is it? Chihuahua in a garbage disposal. Yeah. Yep. Um, and we have like some cool projects that we want to do, but we really need your support. So if you haven't followed us on Instagram at the mass hysteria podcast, shoot us an email, the mass hysteria podcast at gmail.com. And please, we are begging you with our desperation. <laughs> Rate us and review us on Apple Podcasts because in all seriousness, it really helps us and it pushes us up in the algorithm uh, of the search engine. At least that's what I've convinced myself. So if you have yet to do so, please um, try to do it for us, for your favorite podcasters. Please. Um, but, but actually, if you can share it with friends that you think would be interested – that would be sick because chances are anyone listening has more friends than Connor and I do. Exactly. Um, <laughs> so until next week, bye guys. Bye guys.